different dinosaurs. Finn does all his own research on the dinosaurs using the internet and reference books. So what have you got for us this week? This week mum I'll be telling you about the Elasmosaurus which is a type of plesiosaur. Plesiosaur? That would make it a marine reptile wouldn't it? Angie's starting to get it listeners. Hey cheeky, so what have you found out about the Elasmosaurus? It lived in the late Cretaceous period, Mum, 80 million years ago. It was first discovered in 1867 in Fort Wallace, Kansas, by an American army surgeon called Theophilus Hunt-Turner. He was exploring near where he was stationed with an army scout and found some fossils in a ravine. It was sent to Edward Drinker Coop and he named it Elasmosaurus platterus in 1868. Cope and Turner kept on writing to each other and Turner returned to the ravine where he found more fossils. Cope didn't reveal how the Elasmosaurus came to his attention. It became known when Turner's letters were published in 1987. You've mentioned Edward Drinkercoat before. Don't you think mums are like elephants? They don't forget anything. And don't you forget it. You're right mum, I have mentioned him before on episode 8 about the T-Rex. That's the one. So was Edward Drinkercoat a key figure in the research of the Elasmosaurus too? Well, a mistake he made after the Elasmosaurus was found was a key part of the Bone Wars, Mum. Bone Wars? There was a rivalry between Edward Drinker Coop and another paleontologist called Othniel C. Marsh, who I mentioned on my Allosaurus episode. From 1877 to 1892... These paleontologists were trying to be the best person at finding the most dinosaurs. Between both efforts, 136 new dinosaur specimens were found. So, what mistake did Edward Drinkercoat make with the Elasmosaurus that it was remembered as part of the bone walls? Edward Drinkercoat accidentally put the fossils in the wrong order. Othniel C. Marsh mocked him for this, and this became a part of their rivalry. Oh dear. So, what does the Elasmosaurus mean? Elasmosaurus means thin-plated, flat-tailed lizard. Unfortunately, this highlighted another mistake Edward Drinkercoat made. He thought the tail was flat, but it was really the neck. No complete skeletons have been found so far. Paleontologists believe that it would have grown around 34 feet long and half its body length would have been the neck. The neck had 71 vertebrae. After more research, paleontologists now believe that the cartilage in between the neck vertebrae 
would make it be able to hit the length of 45 feet long. The Elasmosaurus was the second longest necked creature ever found and it lost to the Albertanex, which had 74 vertebrae. Wow. So what other features did the Elasmosaurus have? Its body would have been streamlined and it had four paddle-shaped limbs. Its head was small as well as its tail. The skull was slender and triangular and it had fang-shaped teeth at the front and smaller teeth at the back. Sounds like the Loch Ness Monster, bud. It does a little. Paleontologists did wonder if the Elasmosaurus could coil its neck like a snake, but now that we know how many vertebrae was in the neck, we now think it's very unlikely. It couldn't lift its head very high above water unless it was in shallow water. If it could rest its body on the seabed, then it would have had the strength to take the effects of gravity. I don't think that goes with the Loch Ness theory, Mum. What would it have eaten, Finn? It is believed that it would eat small fish and marine invertebrates by seasoning it with its teeth. It used small stones in its stomach called gastrolis to help it with digestion. Wow, bud. Did you find anything else out? It wasn't a very fast swimmer because of its unusual body structure. It is believed to be able to maintain a constant high body temperature because that is what is needed to swim far distances. This is called homeothermy. In 2015, they were researching the Elasmosaurus and they found out that it used the front flippers for movement, the back flippers for direction. In 2017, they did another study and they found out that the back flippers gave a 60% more thrust and when in harmony with the front flippers, added a 40% more efficiency. Did the Elasmosaurus lay eggs on land or did it give birth to live young in the water bod? The four paddle-shaped limbs were so rigid and specialised for swimming, paleontologists believed that the Elasmosaurus wouldn't have been able to come on the shore and instead it would have just stayed in the water and laid live young. This is called viviparity. This theory was backed up by another fossil that was found of a polycotylus that had a single baby inside. Was the Elasmosaurus at the top of the food chain with it being so big, Finn? I don't think it was, Mum, because other Elasmosaurid fossils have been found with bite marks from other marine predators. Well, bud, another week, another episode, and my mind is blown once again. Good job. Thanks, Mum. It's time for my random fact of the week. Yay, I love your random facts. The Dinosaur National Monument, which you can find on the border between Utah and Colorado, has a visitor's centre surrounding a wall that contains more than 1,500 dinosaur fossils inside. I know what you're thinking. Yep. 
Put that on our holiday to-do list, Mum. And now it's time for your favourite time of the episode, bud. Yay! Another review! Yep, Steph Renee has left you a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, saying Finn is so knowledgeable about the dinosaurs. I love this podcast. What do you think, bud? Thank you so much. I try and keep you guys as happy as possible. We've also had a question by one of your fans, Finn. Would you like to hear it? Of course, Mum. Well, Robert is a very big fan of yours, bud. Hi, Robert. Robert was interested in the fact you gave last week about the Brachiosaurus having two brains. He wants to know your opinion on whether evolution would have made this possible, Finn. Yeah, I think so, Mum. My theory on big creatures like the Brachiosaurus and the Argentinosaurus is that they didn't have a big enough skull to contain the brain sires that they would need to control the whole body so they had a second brain to control the movement elsewhere on the body. Hope that helps, Robert. If there are any paleontologists who have more information on this, we would love to hear from you. And if you would like to support this budding little paleontologist, please leave a rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Or alternatively, you can visit our Facebook page at Paleopod and leave a review or recommendation. It's really nice to hear my mum telling me reviews on the episode. All reviews and recommendations helps Finn to reach a bigger audience. And if your Dino Mad Darling would like a shout out, please email us at paleopodofficial at gmail.com and we will do one shout out per episode. So unlike the dinosaurs, we'll be back next week. Bye! Bye.